Good morning, good morning, good morning. Welcome to Christ Hold Fast devotional for Tuesday, September uh, 17th. Yeah, that's right, September 17th. I'm coming to you from my backyard today, not my office as is the norm. So instead of books surrounding me, I'm surrounded by trees and squirrels and whatever other wild animals tend to gather around this joint. Uh, we're continuing on today uh, in our look at 2 Corinthians. We're looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 3 today. A very interesting chapter. We're actually going to read the entire chapter today. Good morning, Barb. Good morning, Bonnie. That's all I can see so far, but I know there are others of you who are hidden in the shadows. Um, so before I get into uh, the text today and talk about uh, its very important content, I do want to uh, let you know, in case you didn't see yesterday, that you can pre-enroll for a new 1517 Academy course with uh, me and my buddy Dan Price, my co-host of 30 Minutes in the New Testament. We have made a six-session course, uh, developed a six-session course based on the Gospel of Luke, doing an overview of the life of Christ, sort of, it's it's a broad overview, so it's, a, it's sort of a flyover. Um, but uh, a good way to familiarize yourself with, with the broad scope of, of what Jesus did in his life and ministry, his death and resurrection, etc. Um, and then we uh, are going to be starting the Gospel of Luke in the podcast so that if you want to go deeper and do a deep dive into that Gospel with us, verse by verse, as we always do, uh, that'll be starting in a couple weeks too. So it's all going to be coming out at the same time, but if you wanted to pre-enroll for that 1517 Academy course, uh, you can look at my own personal Facebook page. I've got it up there. Dan's got it up on his stuff. I mean, it's sort of all, it's going all over the place right now. So um, you can also find it on the 1517 website. So hope that's useful and helpful for you uh, and something that you consider doing. Good morning, Judy. Good morning, Barb, uh, Barbara. So, all right, as has been discussed so far, let's get into 2 Corinthians 3. Uh, as has been discussed so far throughout our time in 2 Corinthians, uh, Paul is under attack from a group calling themselves the utterly ridiculous and silly name, the Super Apostles. Uh, and this group, probably from an extreme Judaistic uh, Christian faction, has been going after uh, his leadership and his integrity. You can see hints of that in chapter 1, verse 17. Uh, his harsh letter writing, uh, as opposed to his parent, uh, apparently gentle and unimpressive speech in person. And so you can see that contrast made in chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. And then if you skip ahead to chapter 10, verse 10. And their goal most likely is to convince the Corinthians to follow them as opposed to this, you know, Paul character. And what these super apostles would do is, uh, is show up to churches in this area with letters of recommendation. Now, this was a common practice uh, back then, showing that they had uh, some credentials uh, and authority to speak to them. And so as they showed these, these letters, they would ask, does Paul have such letters to give to you? If not, why not? Could it be that his is not a valid ministry, like our super apostolic ministry? I just, every time I say that title, <laughs> I want to laugh because it's the most like childish thing ever. The, we're the super apostles. But anyhow, uh, good morning, Judy. Uh, two Judys, good morning to both of you. So what, what follows then in chapter 3 
is a defense of Paul's ministry and a brief explication of what this ministry all is all about and why indeed it is valid. And so first he begins with his own letter of a valid ministry. He immediately deals with the letter, letter of recommendation issue writing, are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Now he asks this because he just got done giving a defense of his actions. Or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendations to you or from you? And so a couple of things we learn in this first verse. Uh, we learn, one, that Paul is sarcastic. Hooray! I always enjoy finding out that one of my biblical heroes, including Jesus himself, by the way, uh, deals in the fine art of sarcasm. I always appreciate good sarcasm. Number two... Uh, we learn that he is sort of stuck in between a rock and a hard place because anytime he defends his ministry, he is accused of, quote, commending himself. But if he doesn't defend his ministry with his own letters of recommendation, well, that is seen as evidence that his ministry actually isn't valid. And so Paul's in a difficult thing, a difficult place. Now, the reality is Paul certainly could have gotten these letters of recommendation if he really wanted to. If you go back to Acts 15, you can see that the leadership of the early church agrees and endorses Paul uh, through and through. But Paul knows that such games can go on forever, and so he takes a different approach. Listen to what he says his letters are. Verse 2, you yourselves are our letter of recommendation written on our hearts to be known and read by all. And you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. So what is Paul saying is the real letter of a valid ministry? He's saying it's, it's the people that have been ministered to and have been impacted by his preaching and by his service. And to some extent, everyone in any ministry capacity really shouldn't merely look to the degrees on the wall, the letters of recommendation, to determine whether their ministry is valid, um, which is the way we tend to do it now. You know, I got my degree from this school and I've been to this place and so I'm certified to be called a pastor. There's a place for that, and I'm not downplaying it. I got them. Um, but we should ultimately also look to the lives of the people they've served, of the people that have been served by that pastor say, he has shepherded me. He's ministered to me. He's been there with me. Paul says, you know, I, I don't need the letters of recommendation. You guys can speak for yourself. Have I, have I served you well? Your life is the letter your, your church is the letter, folks. It's not, it's not about whether I have all the credentials, which, again, he certainly did. So, and yet, it, notice this. It's, I think it's really important. Um, <laughs> Paul says, you're the letter, right? And yet, remember who he's writing to. He's writing to such a morally screwed up church. <laughs> the Corinthian church is such a hot mess, and you're going to see him rebuke them over and over and over throughout this letter. And yet, even still, he says, I would trust people to talk to you about my ministry rather than getting a letter of endorsement from Peter or James or whoever these people want. I want them to meet you. Yeah, I know you're sinners. Yeah, I know you're messed up, but I still... I. I trust that God has used me in your life and, and that he continues to. And so, so that's, that's Paul's letter. He says, you're my letter. 
Next, Paul's going to discuss where the power comes from, from uh, excuse me, where the power comes from for his ministry's validation. Look at verse 4. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God. So verses 4 and 5 tell us that the sufficiency of Paul's ministry doesn't come from him, but it comes from his Lord. In other words, in and of himself, Paul knows that he's nothing, that he don't got jack. Rather, it's God working through him that gives him what he needs. And let me just say this is a bit of application. The moment a minister forgets this and begins to rely on his own strength, which I have so often done, is the moment that the minister becomes more and more insufficient. The minister is nothing in and of himself. The minister is only a vessel through which God is working to bring his life-changing gospel to people. And so Paul continues with the content of his sufficient ministry saying, verse 6, God has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Verse 6 tells us the sufficiency does not come from the preaching of the law. So now you're going to start getting into content here. It doesn't come from the preaching of the letter, which is another way of saying the law, but by the Spirit. And most commentators have seen Paul's use of the Spirit here being another way of saying the gospel. Now, why do you think they'd say that? Well, uh, because that is, in fact, reiterated all throughout Paul's ministry. He makes this division between the letter and the Spirit, the law and the gospel. He says to Timothy that we must rightly handle, divide the word of truth. Here's the deal. Uh, the law can produce outward change. It can. Out of fear of consequences, you know, jail time or penalties or judgment, we might change our outward behavior. But only the new covenant of the Spirit could produce the inward change that is actually necessary. And the inward change is not something that we are we do. It is something that is declared and bestowed upon us by the grace of God through the preaching of the gospel. Paul talks about this distinction in places like Romans 2, where he talks about a, uh, a truly Jewish person not being someone that merely is circumcised outwardly, but someone that's circumcised in the heart. He, he, and again, talks about the distinction between the spirit and the letter there. Romans 2.29. Listen to Romans 7 verses 4 through 6 where Paul talks about how the law actually has the opposite effect of what we think it will have. He says, likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions, listen to this, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. What arouses your sinful passion? It's not the preaching of endless freedom in Christ Jesus. No, no, no. It's not the fear that so many have that if we preach that you're truly free, that you're just going to go live like a hellion. No. What produces your sinful desire is me saying, no. 
It's the law saying, no, it's, listen, the instinct that we have when we're two years old and our parents say no to us when we want to put our hand on the hot stove is the same thing that resides in every sinner even when they become adults. They just might get better at hiding it. The law inflames our flesh. It arouses more sinful passion rather than killing sinful passion. So what does Paul say in verse 6 of chapter 7 in Romans? But now we are released from the law having died to that which held us captive so that we serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. So again, you see that distinction there. The old way leads to death because it actually arouses sinful passions in us. But the gospel gives us freedom and a desire to actually want to serve and love our neighbor. It's an amazing thing when we are told that we don't have to do anything, well, it frees us up to want to do all things for the good of our neighbor. So now Paul continues to go on in verses 7 through 11, describing the glory of the ministry. Verse 7, now if the ministry of death, carved in letters on stone, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all. Can you imagine how controversial the words of Paul are here speaking to a Jewish audience? He, he Listen again to what he says. Uh, Indeed, in this case, what once had glory, he's talking about the law, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. I'm telling you, Sometimes I'm tempted every once in a while to just quote a verse like this and not let people know who said it just so I can be accused of being a radical. Because this is radical. And yet it is indeed biblical. It is these scriptures. I'm just reading them to you, friends. So what does Paul say the difference is between the old and the new covenant, the old way of the law as opposed to the new way of the spirit? Well, the old way is a ministry of death. It's a ministry of condemnation. And it's temporal. That's what he says. Not making it up. Not reading into it. Not eisegeting. Just what he says. What does the new covenant say? It's a ministry of life. It's a ministry of righteousness. Whose righteousness? Not yours. Christ's. And it's a ministry that is permanent. It never ends. Its glory goes on forever. Listen to the Apostle John in chapter 1, verses 14 through 17 of his gospel. He says this. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. Verse 16, For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. And then he makes the contrast, the same contrast that Paul does. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And because Paul and all those who minister have such an amazing message to proclaim by the power of the Holy Spirit through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, 
Paul then goes on to proclaim the results, beginning in verse 12. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold, not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened, for to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted, because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So what is the result of preaching this spirit-filled gospel message of freedom? Well, number one, it gives the preacher great boldness to go out there and preach it, to just let, let it rip. Unlike Moses, who had to hide himself from the people because uh, the glory was too much for them to handle, it's the gospel is not something to be hidden. It's something to be exposed. It's something to be... Uh, proclaimed with great boldness and fearlessness, as Paul mentions here. What's the result of this preaching? Well, he pretty clearly says that people have the lights turned on through Christ. People all of a sudden begin to see that their need for Christ and their need for everything that he's done. And this results when, as Paul uses the language here, when they turn to the Lord, the veil is removed, and they are now free creatures. You're free to be because of what Jesus Christ has done for you, folks. You are a free, new creation that is being transformed by the power of Jesus Christ. As Paul says here, being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. And who's doing the verbs, folks? It's always I always love pointing out that statement. Who's, what's the answer? The last, the very last statement of chapter 3. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Today, and good news because Paul, even though under attack for his ministry, gives a defense that shows that the content of his message is far more powerful than any imposter gospel brought by the super apostles. And for that matter, any imposter gospel brought in our day to day, it is by the power of the preaching of the gospel, by the power of the Holy Spirit, that our ministries indeed are validated. So, all right, gang, that's it. Good to be with you here today. Thanks for tuning in. I'll see you next Tuesday, and make sure to pre-enroll for the 1517 Academy course uh, on the life of Christ. All right? Thanks so much. God bless.